0: Welcome to The Spawn Chunks, episode number 176 for Monday, January 17th, 2022. My name is Joel Duggan, and joining me as always is my friend Johnny, but the internet might know him better as Seasoned 2 Pixel Rivs. Hello. (laughs)
1: Hello, and if you're interested in getting in shape this year, um, you might might do better than listening to The Render Distance, but it's certainly a good start because we've been talking about how we've been planning to uh, get a little bit of exercise. I've been taking up a bit more cycling for the new year, And you can listen to the extended conversation where we chat about all kinds of stuff like that and more at patreon.com slash the spawn chunks you can sign up to be a patron there and get access to the render distance listen to the show live all sorts of other stuff besides and patrons will find our latest quarterly hangout arriving on their patrons on the rss feed alongside the render distance this week in fact i think it should already be up on those feeds now so we just had a quarterly hangout this weekend where we went through the facts and figures the behind the scenes stuff about the running of the show it's all very interesting if you're into that kind of stuff and that should now be on the patrons on the rss feed as well Uh, This week is our chunk mail dispenser episode, so we're going to be covering a little bit of listener email on new topics and old topics that we've covered in previous episodes. But first, we're going to do our quick login, and Joel is going to tell us all about what he's been doing in Minecraft this week.
0: So I finally took the plunge that I've been threatening to for the last little while and started a new modded Minecraft series
1: ah, and stream, yeah. An interesting time to get into modded Minecraft, I feel, because I feel like with all this stuff being fresh in vanilla, it seems like, you know, everyone's focus is on one eighteen, and now you're going into, is this all of Fabric, yeah?
0: This is all of Fabric 5 and that's particularly why I chose this pack is because all the mod pack or all the mods in the pack are able to be installed on one. Oh, so, so it's like
1: right up to date mod pack. Interesting. Because I'm... Fabric I'm just- is fantastic for that. I am so used to modded being like a couple of versions behind like I know a lot mm-hmm. of like forge packs and stuff are still on 1.16 and so forth and I think maybe with fabric pushing to get up to date with these versions that might be pushing them ahead as well but but all of this stuff is happening in the newest version that's is, is that not like confusing to you though is it not like it, are you not worried that you'll go into 1.18 vanilla and go wait a minute it doesn't have this feature that I saw in the modded ver- version or are you <laughs> are you taking them as like separate games at this point?
0: Definitely taking them as separate games because I'm not particularly concerned with building in the modded series. I'm more looking at like progression and, and exploring some of the mods. And I, I, I tried modded before and I got through it okay, but it got frustrating from a technical standpoint. Uh, this pack seems to be progressing better in terms of it's not lagging out my, my system as much. So mm-hmm. whatever changes have been made with Minecraft and Fabric and the other terrain mod that I'm using, which is Terralith, um it seems to not be crazy hard on my system which is great because that's the only reason i stopped before is because it became i ended up getting headaches when i was playing um and i i wanted to add some things that are different to this gameplay like i don't want to do the same things i'm doing on the citadel on this modded series so um one of the things that i was looking for was in addition to tech mods and things i also wanted to have biomes and different uh different you know, like exploration stuff and one of the issues that I found was most of the biome mods were still not up to 118, 117, 116.5 usually. And I really didn't want to go back that far. So uh, I used Teralith, which is great because not only is it a fabric mod, it's a forge mod. It's even available as a data pack. So for folks that want to try it out, you can use it in your vanilla world and just use it as a data pack to affect the terrain. And it does add new biomes, like 85 new biomes or something, including cave biomes and and different stuff like that. And uh, I actually haven't encountered anything that I would say would be a vanilla cave yet. Like, so I haven't seen a lush cave. I haven't seen a dripstone cave, but I've seen some cool like gem caves. Uh, The biome that I've set up and built in is called a Highlands. And what Terralith does, it creates these new biomes without adding any new blocks. Mm-hmm. Uh, there will be new blocks in the game, obviously from the mods, the other mods in the pack, but Terralith on its own just kind of takes vanilla blocks and kind of rearranges them into different, um, situations similar to, was it, um, Biome Bundle. Biome Bundle, yeah. yeah
1: Biome Bundle was a preset for Open Terrain Generator, which yeah, yeah. was just like a bunch of parameters it fed into OTG and said, do all of this. And then you could take it back into a vanilla world from there you just had it generate the terrain if you wanted to so exactly there's there's definitely
0: some interesting mirrors to that yeah so this where i'm living right now is this cool highlands biome that's like this mix of like grassy plains and like rocky terrain with jagged kind of spikes sticking up but they're only like five to six blocks tall maybe ten in some places Mm -hmm. but it's really cool uh reminds me of obviously the highlands but it also reminds me of nova scotia which has similar landscape which is great um and uh i've been exploring um around the area where there's a couple of giant like chasms that open up and one of the things that i've noticed about about this and this might be true of 118 because i've not had the experience of going to look for minerals or digging in 118 is that i have not had to dig Like I've just, I just walk around until I find a giant hole. Mm -hmm. And then through that cave systems, like I can drop 60, 70 blocks. I don't have to dig staircases, which I find boring. Yeah. And, and so it's been really fun to explore that. There's been some places where I basically just run into torches and have to turn around and go back. So (laughs) I'm at this sticking point now where. I have to spend some time, maybe even later today, doing like vanilla progression because like I need a lot of coal for torches. I need. I wouldn't mind getting some diamonds. I've got three, but like I found them in a chest. So I've not actually done the whole like look for stuff, make progression, like do a bunch of farming. I've got like tree farm and some crops and stuff, but my little crop farm got full because of course I've got things like Valley Craft, which is uh, like a very similar um, gameplay mechanic to Stardew Valley. Uh, and uh, Croptopia. There's a bunch of other things in there, so like you come across all kinds of stuff. And mm-hmm. the first thing I notice walking around this world is just how colorful it is. Even in this seemingly bleak kind of like Highlands gray stone area, there are flowers everywhere. Yeah, and they're different shapes, different colors. Like I've got Botania. There's Bewitched. There's a bunch of other things in this Olive Fabric Five Pack, and it really makes a huge difference to have all these different flowers. Um, just kind of like around the world and and walking through them. But then, of course, you start picking things up and every different flower has a different slot in your inventory. Yeah,
1: yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I think that's part of why some of the modded approach gets a little bit overwhelming for me is because they're going for the sort of maximalism approach of like, you know, it can all go in here and all of it contributes to a cooler looking natural world. And, you know, you, you walk out my front door and you'll find like... 10 species of plant and flower and everything else before you even get to the main road Um, but then you run the problem of the the minimalist approach of Minecraft allowing for the inventory to stay relatively minimal and so you end up having to craft a backpack before you go anywhere and pick anything up in modded sometimes
0: which is the first thing that I did and the cool thing about the backpack that I'm using it's called uh craftable or wearable backpacks and it's they're nothing fancy i I don't know there doesn't appear to be any upgrades to them but they're a big backpack and what's nice about them is that you can put them on the ground fill them up and then pick them up and put them on right and you have to sacrifice your chest place slot Uh so it's not it's it's op it's op in terms of how much you can carry but you get your face handed to you if you encounter anything (laughs) yes (laughs) so so that part has been a fun you know kind of like Balance, like, do I want to pick take the backpack with me, or if I do, I'm bringing the chest plate in case you know. And can I switch fast enough and all that kind of stuff? So that that part has been has been interesting and fun. Uh, I also have a mod on there called Dank Storage, which I'm not really familiar with, but it's like a weird little cube thing that will hold a limited amount of items. I think it's like nine different items, mm-hmm. but you can filter it to auto pick up, so it doesn't actually go into your inventory. With the backpack, you have to manually empty your inventory into the backpack, just like a shulker box. With the Dank Storage it will filter it automatically. So like if you're going mining, put things like andesite, cobble, all the stuff that you just get tons of in this little dank storage thing. And it just picks it up automatically and gets it out of your, out of right. your inventory. Mm-hmm. And just, it allows you to like open up your inventory quickly and look at what you've got and say, okay, cool, I have enough iron, I have enough gold or whatever it is that you're looking for. Um, nice. Yeah, so the experience has been pretty fun. Uh, I'm I'm looking forward to, to more. I spent a good chunk of the time on Sunday um, getting into Batania. And, and messing around with that uh and we only just scratched the surface but the cool thing about some of those larger more complicated mods is that they do come with a book that you can craft that yeah. you can then read and um and i might do a little bit more reading off off stream just because it's a little bit boring to kind of sit there and go through it but i mean then again if people are looking to learn that's also a good way to do it too and then on on saturday we did spend some time on the citadel um nothing really crazy uh it, it's just it's one of those phases where i'm expanding into a different area of the town and I kind of have to lay blueprints and kind of think about what's happening next. And so we spent a good part of the time of the stream doing some texturing and finishing up those like paths that go in between houses. And it takes forever, but these are things that I walk all the time. And so I much prefer to have them finished. And that way, when I'm walking through them on stream, it just looks like more of a finished, you know, build rather than just walking through something that's like a, a temporary cobblestone path that you see six times a stream, it's better to just, you know, have it be finished and decorated. And um, that kind of stuff is always challenging because there's just so much gray that I have to mess with. Um, but the big project that's coming up next is going to be a grand parade in front of the um, the keep uh, and wanting to create some sort of cool either mosaic on the ground or some sort of very distinct area where this is where you know, maybe, you know, guards would gather or something would happen. If anything important was happening in terms of the regency in the area, this is probably where it would go down. It is probably going to involve redesigning one of the towers on the wall and actually moving and changing the design of the wall, which is fine because I'm not happy with the way that the front of the town sort of looks right now Mm -hmm. um but it it very quickly went from like oh this is a cool idea to oh wow this is a big project like i need to Mm -hmm. there's good i've got pinterest research to do i've got some planning to to figure out but i like the idea and i i've got the room for it and i feel like it's going to add some some experience to walking through this area of the town so it'll create a nice divider between west and east but um it's it's kept me busy like there's lots going on right now
1: nice yeah you've got a lot going on and every time i see an overhead shot of your medieval town i'm just like wow this thing is coming together like it's very exciting to see it all kind of yeah because you've you've obviously done like little bits and pieces and shown us the occasional screenshot of like a specific house or like an individual project or like you know water wheel by the river kind of thing and then you zoom out and we see the overhead shots from not not even just from the mini-map but like the in-game screenshots it just it's starting to look like the set from something like the witcher or game of thrones or whatever like it's it's got that vibe to it
0: now which is really cool to see thanks man i really appreciate that and that's what happened i was taking screenshots of this parade square and i just realized how high up i was and i took a look to the east where things were more complete and i just got hit by like wow that actually looks really good mm-hmm. you know, not, not to toot my own horn but like i don't see it from this vantage point very much because i i flip into creative mode to take photos and screenshots and then I play obviously in in um in survival, so most of the time because I've spent so much time working on it, I walk through the town. I don't try to fly over it too much, so very seldom am I up above it, and it it was a really cool sight.
1: Mhm. Yeah, and that's that's cool. It's all it's all looking pretty great. So what have you been up to, my friend? I have completed my village shenanigans for now. Um, the Savannah village that I found for my kind of villager focused week has had its population expanded, retrained, zombified and cured, and I'm now getting ludicrous prices on all of my trades, Um, even from the people that I haven't zombified, because it turns out villager gossip is also a pretty powerful mechanic on Java Edition. Um, So I've rediscovered some kind of neat trades in the process, because there are definitely some professions before that I didn't bother with, and it kind of reaffirmed my suspicions about which villages I wouldn't bother with in future. Like, leather workers don't really need them. Um, The leather worker is still the worst. I think they trade maybe four things for emeralds and they're all things that are either inconvenient to get or you have other uses for. Like, I want to keep all of my leather to make, you know, item frames and stuff like that. And the other things I think they ask you for are, like, rabbit hide, which nobody has in large quantities, and flint which i which i prefer not to get in large quantities but it turns out trading them a bunch of flint does really level them up quite fast so if you want to get master profession with all of these villages the flint trade is actually pretty powerful mainly because you need to get 31 flint to get it so fortune 3 shovels at the ready for that one um but yeah overall i had some some good Good interactions with these villagers. I did solve a murder mystery, which turned out to be the terrain murdering them (laughs) in the end, but um, a couple of my villagers went missing during this process, and I'd already covered up a couple of holes in the terrain thinking that looks like something a villager's just gonna walk into and then, you know, not be able to find his workstation again, right? But I lost a farmer and a librarian in mysterious circumstances, And my Twitch chat prompted me to look back through the log files in my .minecraft folder. And it will actually log all of the information the same way a server does behind the scenes. And I looked into these log files and found that both the farmer and the librarian had drowned in exactly the same place. And so there was a specific point that they were pathfinding to outside of my village where they try and pathfind across like one of those waterlogged uh caves but it was one of the ones that's like a a chasm that sort of only goes down in very short areas like it, it, it's a very kind of like crawl space kind of thing going oh, diagonally yeah. mm-hmm. down into the into the earth so it was one of those it was next to the river so it was flooded and there was an overhanging block that they basically tried to walk across fallen down into the water their forward momentum had carried them underneath this block and then they couldn't pathfind out of it so they both drowned at exactly the same coordinates which was kind of weird when i found it but then i just covered the whole thing over and uh, presumably it's going to be fine after that um, but yeah, the, the the process of working with villagers is, as usual, a, a conflicting one. It's a little frustrating at times. They are prone to accidents like that. But then the fisherman has these pufferfish and tropical fish trades that I don't normally bother with. But having done so much fishing at the beginning of this series, I have a ton of pufferfish that I don't want to use for water breathing potions. I figure I can offload a bunch of those for an emerald apiece. And that's an easy way to get a stack of emeralds. I've now got a bunch of resource farms now so you know I've got the triples cave spider spawner providing string for days that I can trade to the fishermen and the Fletcher and then they can give me a ton of emeralds for those and yeah it's it's been fun getting back into the swing of things, knowing that I've got diamond gear I can trade from the blacksmith professions and mending books from the librarians. so now I've got full mending on everything as well and yeah it feels good. It feels like the world is coming together again. <laughs>
0: That's great, man. How, in terms of those caves, you know, and and like the crawl spaces and even like the big open like chasms and stuff, how often are you finding those in the world? They're relatively frequent, but I tend to like, I, I
1: I tend to notice them more often than not because they're unusual to me at this point. Like, I think I'd probably overlook a cave that felt like a cave entrance from previously. To me, they pop up more often than not because they're just different to what we're used to um but yeah like i i've i found a few of those in plains biomes and stuff but like it for whatever reason in this world i'm not finding as many of the larger cave entrances that lead down into something like you're finding in your all of fabric series the kind of almost basin like uh construction of caves that manage to breach the surface i know they exist i've seen a lot of other people's screenshots of them from 118 but for whatever reason i just haven't strayed into areas that have had those um, I found a couple of really awesome looking dripstone caves, though, and so I'm going to go back to those and turn them into a base because they are massive and and wild looking. Um, I managed to explore a, a bit of one of them so that I could get some iron, um, but I didn't want to spend too long in there because I was convinced I was going to die. <laughs> you look around at all those stalagmites and you think, yeah, one of those got my name written on it somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, so so I'll probably go back to that, but I I, I kept it at arm's reach uh, for the moment. Um Having gotten back into, uh, gone back to my spawn point and sort of getting getting into the technical side of things, but also with villagers, I'm now having a more varied week where I've worked on an iron farm. I'm probably going to go and find some bees later. I might get enough iron together to put together some more automated storage, so we can do some of that. And I have just done an episode i basically just recorded an episode this morning where i mined out a huge vein of iron while my iron farm like just like a single cell iron farm was running in the background and i'm comparing the outputs of those two to see whether like what the merits are of each approach whether mining out a huge vein is always going to return more iron and you know how much time your iron farm has to run for you to accumulate the same amount and what the strengths and weaknesses are of both approaches so i'm trying to be a bit more analytical about the changes that have come up in 118 and how they can be best used to the player's advantage so that's going to be my focus for this week i think
0: that's really cool because i really enjoy the satisfaction of creating an iron farm something that you can set and forget it does take some work It's it's rewarding when it's done um, you do uh, get used to it on a four-year-old server of like never having to worry about iron ever again um, how how is setting up an iron farm now in in 118 like is it is it easier than before is it is it more cumbersome like where does that kind of land
1: the mechanics are the same as they have been since 114 give or take a couple of tweaks because I know in 114 they were still trying to rebalance some things. I came up with a design of my own this time, which I was very pleased with. It's the same kind of like module with three villagers, three beds in the sky, and they panic constantly and then they need to be able to get in bed by a certain time, so I've left a flower pot up there that blocks their field of view of the zombie from one very specific angle that all three of them can't stand behind but at certain times of day they'll move behind it and that means they're trying to get in bed and sometimes they're able to get in bed from there and that means they can sleep, which is now the only requirement for them to produce an iron golem. They have to sleep and then three of them have to be panicking for them to spawn an iron golem every 35 seconds, I think the timer is. And it's it's pretty straightforward, really. Like, I I obviously know a bit more about technical Minecraft than I did when I first made an iron farm or even when I made the iron farm update in, in 1.14 so i think now it's coming easier to me just because i'm more comfortable with that side of things but i don't think 1.18 inherently makes it easier or harder to do all you've really got to do is find a zombie and three villagers and in this case i ended up curing two zombie villagers because we covered that in last week's videos and i you know bred those two to get a third one because you just need to chuck them some carrots and have enough beds around so it was easy enough um, the the one thing I did do was make sure the module was up in the sky above the ground, so that the golems are falling out of this instead of spawning directly on the ground. So that was a little bit of extra work with a bubble column, and and that was it really. Nothing too much to write home about. Nothing especially different about doing it in one eighteen compared to previous versions.
0: So we had to retrofit ours because ours was built in like one twelve or one thirteen. Yeah. And so several times over the course of the iterations, we've had to adjust. We've had to add a zombie, which we didn't need before, because, I mean, it still looks like the old version. It's got 40 or 50 doors around it um, in the way that they used to spawn. Um, But now it's um, I, I mean, I think it's still working. I haven't checked it since we updated to 118. Normally we check it once a cycle. Like whenever we update the server, that's normally when we go to check to see. And and honestly, it's it's fallen on uh, Alistair, one of my server mates. So he's the one that usually takes on the, the challenge of fixing it up um, just because he likes that technical stuff. And and I'm, I've done it a number of times. So it's kind of like, it's not high on my priority because like mm-hmm. I have to fix this thing again. And so now somebody else is doing it. But yeah, it's interesting. I will be very curious to see the results of that like that mining experience because I, I i often wonder as as popular as iron farms are if that's kind of something that mojang wants you to do in yes. the game like yeah. I, it's it's a weird i don't know i like it's, it's one of those things that you kind of you don't imagine that's the goal so they want to give you kind of something that's almost as good maybe i don't know the conclusion i came to was
1: that mining is just way more balanced in favor of the player now like you can because you can fortune iron blocks that alone gives you the opportunity to go mining instead of building an iron farm and in my case i've decided to do both for a variety of reasons um mostly because i don't want to be mining constantly throughout my world but then like previously i think making an iron farm was more effective than going caving most of the time and going caving just became an inconvenience after a while. Whereas now I've been able to stockpile enough iron through caving that I haven't really needed to think about an iron farm, except for the fact that I'm doing this for tutorials for other people. And so I thought, you know, I might as well do this. And what I've come to the conclusion is that, you know, the iron farm is good because it's a set it and forget it thing. It's going to be producing iron for the remainder of this world's lifespan. And who knows how long that's going to be? Probably years. And it means I don't have to think so hard about where am I going to store all of this iron because it's going to be produced by the farm pretty consistently. If you want a trickle of iron, then it's for you, definitely. Um, I think the other thing is if you've got raw iron that you can go mining for, A, you can silk touch it at that point because you don't need to worry about where your iron is coming from so you have more blocks that you can build with. Or if you go and fortune that iron, you can craft that into raw blocks, which are another block that you can build with that the iron farm isn't going to provide. And so what I've actually done is keep all of the iron in its raw form and I'm going to use that for decorative stuff around the pit that the iron golems are falling into, I'm actually building up this kind of like almost meteor impact crater kind of thing. Uh, Just like a small one, not like anything massive. But the idea being that, it's kind of formed this sort of crust over time of like the heat from the iron golems being destroyed and stuff and i've put some raw iron blocks around that now as though they've left sort of iron deposits in the soil around the area or something and so i can i can use them for more creative side of things like that without having to worry about these are all iron ingots that i need to be spending on hoppers and whatever else
0: that's morbid (laughs) i mean it is yeah in a a, a hilarious way like it's an iron golem so you're gonna get away with it but it's it can you imagine doing that if it was if you were killing mobs or something like that and you were putting like bits of netherrack around and (laughs) coral and stuff like that
1: it's it's something you can do it's it's a dark aspect of the game and I, i i kind of tried to acknowledge throughout the process that like what i'm doing it seems pretty brutal you know we're having three villagers who are constantly panicking from fear of attack by a zombie and then we're taking their defenders and we're melting them all down for scrap, essentially. But that's the way the mechanics of the game ultimately function, for better or worse. And like, there's there's ways players have been using these for almost a decade now. So yeah, it's uh, it's it's intense, but it's it's worth it for the long-term impact of what it does for your world. I think, and you know, the it's it's a time to step back and remember that this is just a video game after
0: all. I I think one of the things that I always find funny about the villagers always panicking and running around and stuff like that is that I imagine uh that that homer simpson scream that like telltale like very iconic whale like whelp that he lets out yeah and i can imagine villagers doing that every time they see a zombie mm-hmm. and then like I, th- you know i'm glad that you can't actually hear that in game because yeah. near an iron farm it would be it would be kind of robotic almost it would almost desensitize you to it i think
1: the uh, the element animation villager sounds resource pack and th- their villagers in general from the animations they do sound a lot like that so yeah i can okay. i can def- <laughs> i can definitely hear that from villagers for sure i think you're not you're not alone there
0: Moving on into the news this week, of which there is not a whole lot. However, we do have some podcast-related news that we'd wanted to share. Sliced Lime will be joining us on the next episode. That's going to record on the 24th or 25th. What's next Monday, Johnny? Uh, good question. Um, <laughs> put me calendar. on the calendar. Uh, 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 24th, 24th. 24th, yes. Yeah, so the 24th. Uh, it will involve some adjustments on the recording time of the show, so it might publish a little bit later, pretending, uh, potentially even the next day. Uh, depending on where you are in the world. Uh, but we're very excited to have SliceLime pop on the show and talk about all kinds of stuff. I mean, he's the tech lead for Minecraft. He's a YouTuber and a Twitch partner, and there's all kinds of fun stuff I'm sure we can talk to Slice about.
1: Yes, pi- pioneer of several popular data packs, including Half-Hearted Hardcore and a few other things. So yeah, he's he's as much a creator of Minecraft content as he is a creator of... Minecraft the game, uh, so really excited to talk to him and it's gonna be a a fun conversation for sure And aside from that, yes, uh, it's been a pretty quiet news week, uh, the team has even had to delay the latest episode of Minecraft now because of Sweden's latest measures of social distancing regulations. So um, yeah, we're we're still waiting to hear from a little bit of the new year momentum gathering in the Mojang office, but safe to say that we just want the team to do what they can. (laughs) And uh, yeah, we're hoping to get some more info about the wild update starting into the new year, but uh, it can can take its time. I
0: think we've got plenty to talk about in the meantime. Speaking of talking, let's jump into the chunk mail.
1: Yes, let's do that. Uh, if you'd like to email the show, uh, we've got plenty of emails to read today. The email address is spawnchunkmail at gmail.com. We have been getting some lovely emails and we want to thank so many of you for writing in. We'd also like to encourage you to keep your emails short and sweet. Uh, we've noticed that some of them are getting a little bit longer and while it's lovely to hear from you, of course, we do need to edit them down so that they can be read concisely on the show. Uh, we want emails that are concise and to the point and have something we can spin out into you a know, five to 10 minute discussion. Sometimes a larger conversation topic. But ideally, if you want to email the show, please do keep them short and sweet. It makes it more likely that they'll end up getting on the show as a result. Uh, Here are some examples of some short and sweet emails. This one comes in from Dakota B, and the subject is new items in villager trading. Hello Johnny and Joel, this is my first time writing into the show. Today I was watching episode 28 of The Survival Guide Season 2, where Pix discussed villager trading. He mentioned the abundance of copper in dripstone caves in an offhand comment, and it made me wonder, why don't villagers trade copper and other new items. A common refrain in the show is that new items sometimes don't feel as fully integrated into the world as they could, and I think adding trades for new items could help solve this issue. For example, cartographers could trade amethyst and spyglasses, clerics could trade spore blossoms, fishermen could trade powdered snow buckets to pack fish in snow to preserve them librarians could trade glow ink masons could trade dripstone blocks and deep slate and toolsmiths could trade copper ingots and lightning rods this could also be justification to remove duplicate trades for example banners could be removed from cartographers to make room for new trades since shepherds also trade banners what do you think dakota traded with villagers late into the night causing him to sleepily stumble into a hidden hole in the ground delivering him speedily and lethally to deep slate level um yes so good points very good points and as somebody who has been trading with villagers a whole bunch uh this week yeah i i can see the merits of some of this i will point out before we we hear from joel that masons already trade dripstone blocks Uh, As of 1.17, that was one of the primary ways you got hold of them because they didn't generate in whole biomes throughout the world. And that substitutes in for the other polished decorative stone types from some masons. Not all of them, but once you get to the stage where they're trading you polished andesite or polished granite, there is a chance for that to be a deep slate block, uh, sorry, a dripstone block uh, trade instead. They won't sell you pointed dripstone, but then you can just grab one of those and far more of it from there so it is possible to get dripstone
0: from masons already my initial response to this was thinking that those are all blocks that are part of the new terrain and mojang would prefer players to go out and explore this new terrain that the team worked very hard on uh and discover those things and have the experience of discovering you know moss and caves and clay in caves and and seeing dripstone in caves and all that kind of stuff um especially geodes finding geodes is always a fun discovery that's a that's a fun easter egg when you're not looking for them like you're digging for diamonds or iron or something like that and all of a sudden wow it's basalt and calcite like i found a geode uh that kind of stuff is always really fun uh and i feel like in recent videos just from a, a just a, a selection of content creators i've noticed i feel like villager trading can be sometimes a little bit overpowered uh, and, or very focused on, at least in the circles that I'm traveling in. And if that was how you could get copper, I feel like people would just beeline for it. And it would, it, it, it p- could potentially rob you of some interesting experiences, finding a huge copper vein. You're like, where does that lead? Does it find the mine shaft along with it? Like what, like where do those kind of like rabbit holes lead you? Pardon the pun. Yeah. Um, and, and I feel like that's one of the reasons why, those kind of items are not part of the villager trading but on the flip side uh i also like the uh, idea of more complicated things like the spyglass uh being in part of the trade systems as like a final trade like something end game because it does kind of add some cool like not lore but like just a cool feel to the cartographer that they also have a spyglass like that's kind of cool um just finding different ways to get it in the game because maybe you found enough copper to trade for a spyglass but you haven't been able to find that geode i remember my first experimental playthrough i was i was looking for a geode forever it took eons to find it mm-hmm. um and so i wasn't able to really test the spyglass because i couldn't find any amethyst right so being able to trade for one would be cool if you happen to be in a world where you just haven't found a geode yet and you're getting frustrated
1: yeah um I think a lot of the time you're selling the basic materials like copper ingots to the villagers and then you're buying back something that they in theory make with them, right? That mm-hmm. tends to be how the trading cycle works. Like, you know, you sell diamonds. I mean, nobody does this, but you sell diamonds to the armorer in the like journeyman level profession about halfway through. And then by expert and master tier, they are selling you back diamond leggings, diamond boots, etc., etc. And so I think a lot of the time that's the what we're supposed to understand by villager trading is that you are feeding them the raw resources and then they're effectively doing the crafting for you or the smelting or whatever it would be you trade the raw stuff to a butcher they sell you back raw they sell you back cooked pork and cooked chicken and that kind of thing Um, likewise with the cartographer you sell them paper and they sell you back uh, empty map or a, a, a map to a woodland mansion so I feel like if we're buying a, a spyglass back from somebody, that kind of makes sense. But if we're buying copper ingots directly for them from them or copper blocks, it kind of gives the player a lot less to do with copper and it gives mm. villagers a very limited range of copper things to trade right now because there aren't that many things you can craft with copper. So just limiting the spyglass or the, the lightning rods to a villager trade or or allowing villagers to craft them alongside players means there's just one less thing for the player to do with them. I can also imagine a lot of people just dumping all their copper into villager trades because a lot of people seem to agree there isn't a whole lot you can do and if you don't want to build with copper, you don't really use it very much at all. Um, So yeah, there's pros and cons there. I don't know about clerics trading spore blossoms because basically everything else a cleric has with the exception maybe of Rotten Flesh, is something to do with potion brewing. Because, you know, if you you sell them gold, but then gold is also something you break down so that you can get, you know, glistering melon and stuff like that. You trade them rabbit's feet, which are jump boost potions. They sell you glowstone, which is used for glowstone dust for enhancing potions. And then I guess enderpearls are in there as well, but that's a different story. Um, I feel like a lot of the the villagers' profession trades are quite locked into certain mechanics and I think deviating from that a little bit too much is part of the reason why they haven't given those trades just freely out to villagers especially for the stuff that might be useful to have a renewable supply of like spore blossoms or, or whatever um, and I like the idea of adding some of these as trades but it also has the potential to be disorienting because you end up going to a trader that you knew traded certain items in the previous versions of the game and and if now they don't, or if now they're trading you stuff that you didn't expect, it can be like a, a mechanic that feels less reliable over time if it's changing constantly. So I think there'd be have to have to be like a pretty big change up in the way villager trading worked for them to keep adding new items from all of the the more recent updates.
0: There's also that frustrating mechanic of trying to get the right trade, like because you don't always get the trade that you want, or for the price that you want. And if there's more things to trade for, that increases the you know chance of a negative result if you are looking for one specific thing and you just don't get it over and over again mm-hmm. and if there's a longer list to go through then it creates that frustration
1: when i was trying for the blacksmith professions this time around i ended up with a weaponsmith. smith who trades uh, they, they trade you axes and swords pretty much constantly because those are the two weapons but then the toolsmith ended up also trading me axes and then didn't have a diamond hoe trade or a diamond shovel trade so i had to recruit a second toolsmith to make sure i had those trades covered it happens all the time you end up having to re-roll villagers trades quite consistently that way and I know that in 117, wanting to build a lot of stuff with dripstone, it was a real pain trying to get make sure I had enough stonemasons that would actually trade it, because it's four or five tiers down in the trade list, so you end up having to really grind for stonemasons to get four or five of them out of a large room of, of stonemasons who would trade it. So yeah, I, I can see the frustration there. I do think now that these things are more in abundance we don't have to worry too much about the availability of stuff like spore blossoms just go and you know raid a lush cave that you don't care much about preserving and you'd probably be fine um but yeah it's interesting but we'll 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 see if we end up getting either any more villager professions in future to open up that kind of slightly rare side of things or if we end up with villagers who will trade some of the newer items that get added to the game
0: later our next email comes in from Pixel Sage Silks touch versus fortune. Hello, Johnny and Joel. Hope you are having a good day and wish you both a very happy new year. So I was and am still a silk touch guy. I prefer silk touch over fortune because you can pick up the ender chest, get natural stone. It just made sense to use silk touch as you couldn't fortune the metal ore blocks, which means you had items of other ores and actual metal metal ore blocks, which just clutters up your inventory. After the release of 118, I am seriously considering switching to fortune because now you can fortune all the metals uh, and turn them into raw blocks, get cobbled deep slate, which is way cooler than regular deep slate. And I don't really mind smelting cobblestone as we have renewable lava for fuel. But with fortune on my pickaxe, I can't pick up my ender chest. I carry one pickaxe in my inventory because it is just convenient for me. What do you guys think? Are you a Silk Touch player or a Fortune player? Thanks, guys, for a wonderful podcast. Pixel Sage is now out of simulation distance and has stopped working. <laughs> that's See, that's why we're in the spawn chunks. We never stop
1: working, <laughs> even, when <we're, laughs> even when we're out of render distance. Um, and that is a very weird,
0: convoluted joke about the naming of the show. Uh, Silk Touch or Fortune, Joel? I am a Silk Touch guy, and I will continue to be so. It's probably because I'm a builder. And because if I'm building something and quickly picking something up and putting something down, I don't want to have to worry about if I'm changing this window, if I'm going to break the glass, uh, if I'm I'm trying to think about other things. Uh, usually it's like plants or bushes, things like that. Like I will, I don't care about shears. I just use a silk touch pickaxe to pick up a bush that I put down the wrong way. And so ultimately I end up getting what I see and not a different block because that drives me nuts. Mm-hmm. Uh and the I have noticed, though, of course, because when I went and, and got a bunch of deep slate for the first time, I couldn't do anything with it because yeah. it wasn't cobbled deep slate. It was just plain deep slate. Um, on the Citadel, which is where I spend most of my time, uh, we do have a data pack that allows me to use things like logs and other wood pieces on the stone cutter for a woodcutter experience. Uh, And I plan on implementing the same thing with Deep Slate and just allowing myself to create all of the cobbled Deep Slate variants with regular Deep Slate. So if Mm -hmm. I do end up with an inventory of both, then I'm fine. Uh, I do agree with Pixel Sage though. I prefer the cobbled Deep Slate texture to use in builds than the regular Deep Slate texture. I don't find it as intuitive or easy to use. So um, there will be a point when I will probably just go specifically grab the fortune pickaxe that I do keep in my ender chest in a tool chalker uh, and and use that because I use that from time to time. Uh, I've got a lot of silk touched coal blocks that if I want to use make coal or use coal for something, then I I'll fortune those. Redstone is still something I'll lay down and, and fortune uh, because a lot of the time because of how old the server is, I don't necessarily have to go looking for blocks. I just already have them in a chest somewhere. I just have to lay them down and mine them out. And so fortune is obviously going to be the best way to do that because what I'm looking at is the pre-117 um, silk-touched ore block that I then have to have to use fortune on. So there's a time and place for it, but most of the time I walk around with the silk-touched pickaxe.
1: I, I mean, 117 has converted me to using fortune a lot more frequently Um, because it saves you space if you craft stuff into raw blocks, with the exception, I think, of redstone and lapis, because if you fortune them, sometimes you get more than nine items out of that, and you'd have to craft those into more blocks than you would end up with if you just silk touch the ore, but most of the time I just fortune everything now when I'm going caving for resources specifically. The thing about silk touch for me is I don't like mining everything twice, Um, not that it matters much for the durability when you have mending, but it's just, you know, I might as well now that it no longer takes up more space. And I carry two pickaxes most of the time anyway because there is still stuff I'd like to silk touch, like, yes, the ender chest here is the the main example, but um, I think I end up with issues like needing to craft something out of cobblestone and not having any if I use silk touch all of the time. Um, there's a couple of other things that silk touch ends up breaking down that's inconvenient for you. I think it's coal ore is the main one. Like if I want to make torches if I'm underground and I need to do that a lot more frequently in 118, then I need to have something that's going to break things down into not the ore block because to get coal out of an ore block you have to either fortune it or smelt it <laughs> and then you only get one coal out of that and you've wasted some fuel. So it's it's silly. But uh, I, I do think that fortune is probably the one that I would stick with for the most part, but for the fact that yes, I'm stashing all of those resource blocks in my ender chest at the end of the day. Um, also if I run into some emerald ore I don't want to fortune that because I still think that's pointless even though there is a lot more emerald ore in this update. so yeah i i like to collect ore blocks when i don't need the resource itself but i think fortune is probably the one i've used the most out of the two and speaking of somebody who just spent time mining out a huge iron vein with fortune 3 yeah uh it's it's definitely worth it i mean i got three times the output of my iron farm from that so it's uh it's it's worth having fortune in 118 definitely if that's that discussion wrapped up, then we can move on to email number three. This comes in from Emric the Fifteenth or Emric XV. Uh, not sure if that's a Roman numeral or not. They are a landscape artist member of the Discord, though. So thank you very much for sending in the email. Uh, the subject is wildly excited about the new update. Greetings Joel and Johnny, thank you for the render distance, it inspired this question. I realise we have a lot of hype around the warden coming in the wild update later this year. However, being a tragic Lord of the Rings, The Hobbit and Dungeons and & Dragons fan myself, I would love to see Mojang surprise us with an attack from a swamp troll when exploring the new swamps. Similar to an iron golem, maybe, a swamp troll could be a little smaller, with a boulder throw attack as well as a decent melee punch so you can't pillar up three blocks to avoid the fight. Do you see Mojang bringing in new features like a Swamp Troll without giving us as players the heads up? If so, what aggressive mobs would you love to be surprised by? Emric the 15th was unwittingly squashed by a boulder. Oh dear.
0: <laughs> I just, I, you imagine that? You're talking to a player in game. You're kind of both hanging out. You're doing a little squat thing. Hello. And all of a sudden, boom, Yeah. Just flat. <laughs> boulder. No more player. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it just comes in out of nowhere. Um, I like the idea of more mobs like this in game. We've talked a little bit before about like fantasy-esque, like goblins and trolls and things like that. Um, but this particular uh, suggestion, where it's tied to the wild update in the swamp. Uh, I think it's nice that it doesn't just add a zombie variant or doesn't just add yet another mob that's going to spawn at low light level that you're going to have to deal with all the time. If it's something that a player doesn't like or isn't ready for, just don't go in a swamp. Like there's, you can potentially avoid it. Um, It also creates a little bit of trepidation if you're going to go into a swamp where you know this thing exists. Uh, and now you have to be a little bit more cautious and careful in looking over your shoulder when you're traveling through a swamp. Uh, I've had this experience recently on Modded where there's lots of different animals, including bears in the jungle, which surprisingly camouflage i don't know why because they're brown and the jungle is green but i walked around the corner the other day and i was just like oh wow that's a that's a large bear mm-hmm. <laughs> i'm gonna have to back up uh it's fun when you don't die instantly like if it's something where you just like oh, i'm just gonna have to get you know take some distance here and it was kind of a neat you know thing to to have to look out for um same thing with animals that are in the water that attack me not used to that <laughs> it's, a, it's a different experience altogether um but i i like the idea of um you know the the throw attack you know it's not just a regular melee mob uh hopefully it's got something where you can hear that coming or if they make a noise um i feel like the balance there is just kind of figure out how much of a nuisance is it going to be for player does it drop anything is it worth fighting or you're just going to run away and avoid it and ignore it um does it provide anything for players that want to farm it like is is that something that is that gameplay that gets added you know similar to our discussion last week about what's a good game mechanic Well, adding a new mob you also have to consider the new mechanics that it might add um, as far as new mobs or something beyond the the idea of a um a swamp troll um i i like the idea of pulling from minecraft dungeons now i know that just because they're similar in their design space in terms of how they look doesn't necessarily mean that the the minecraft team and the minecraft dungeons team want to trade mobs back and forth or that anything that's in one is kind of like guaranteed to, to be in the other but uh i feel like it's just such a fitting addition to have you know for example some of the um the mobs from the the pillager you know um we'll say repertoire in dungeons appear in Minecraft if nothing else it just gives a cool color change to the the raid that's coming across the hill at you You're like if they've got gold helmets on or you know mm-hmm. they look like the the tower guards or if there is an added challenge there then hey all the better because I mean like I had a raid come at me very early in Minecraft in in the um in the modded playthrough and they were easier to handle than the boars that I was running into in the wildlife so <laughs> th- like it's you know and I'm not saying that they're all like that and yes if I did a raid obviously there'd be a lot more challenges with that um, with other the other Minecraft mobs that come into that but I just feel like you know you could probably bring in some other stuff if not if nothing else just visually um, but I like the idea of some of the the Minecraft dungeons mobs coming in
1: yeah I, I think there's there's definitely a, a decent library of, of stuff to pull from there I mean even just the boulder throw attack that Emrick is suggesting for this swamp troll gives me ice vibes um, mm-hmm. And it also gives me something else for projectile protection to be effective against. So, like, I don't, I don't disagree. Trolls are also originally, I believe, from Scandinavian folklore. So it's the kind of thing that you find in Swedish mythology a little bit and Norse mythology as well. So, yeah, potentially there is, <laughs> there is room for that kind of thought to have occurred to the Mojang team already. Um, the existence of humanoid mobs in Minecraft, though, assuming this thing is relatively humanoid has to be somewhat justified and i think zombies and skeletons probably get away from this because they are basic enemy archetypes in fantasy games in general but then even zombies are wearing the clothing of the default minecraft steve skin um they've got the kind of untucked shirt and it's the same color trousers and everything and it kind of implies that there were a bunch of players who have been zombified and maybe you're the only one left um when they added piglins to the nether update they were added for a bunch of reasons but one of them was effectively to justify for a story reason why there were zombie pigmen in the first place and any other humanoid hostile mobs tend to be expansions to the illager family now So I'm wondering if a swamp troll were to be added, where it would fit into that. You know, if it was an illager that even the illagers didn't really like in the same way that the arch illager is in Minecraft Dungeons, but it kind of goes the other way, becomes this golem-like figure and gets sort of cast out into the wilderness. You know, maybe an experiment that one of the witches has done considering the swamp connection there that kind of thing. I would be curious about its origins and these might seem like weird questions for a game with no player facing story but I get the sense the team wants to feel like there is both a history and a kind of natural world connection to some of these mobs. Um, So I'd be interested where it you know fits into the Minecraft sort of mythology and why it attacks players other than just for the sake of you know, mechanically speaking, another thing for players to fight, I'd be kind of curious to see where things fitted in if they they put something like that in the game. Because there'd have to be a reason for it to be there, ultimately. And, you know, what does it drop other than boulders <laughs> is my next question. Does it become a cobblestone farm? Are, are the boulders it chucks at you actually cobblestone blocks or something like that? And and how do those those boulders even manifest themselves in the real world are the boulders cubes because it's it's kind of unusual to see anything round in minecraft i have i have so many questions about this swamp troll idea
0: mossy cobble would be cool
1: oh that that'd be fun yeah i i, I don't i don't mind that idea at all um yeah i i'd still uh, going back to the question about what we'd like to be surprised by like what what could mojang add to the game without giving us a heads up i think the problem with that approach as usual is that mojang relies on the player base a lot of the time for feedback about balancing bug fixes all of that kind of stuff and so in order to implement something in the game without telling us first so it is a complete surprise to new players or you know to 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 existing players who just haven't heard of it then they've got to have a lot of testing done and a a great deal of confidence in the feature itself and and its balance and its place in the game um so I kind of still love to be surprised by The Warden, even though we've heard so much about it already. Uh, I'd love to have it appear in the game, and I've said this before, without players having access to it in snapshots first. And and while that does take, yes, a lot of testing and confidence, um, it does, it kind of irks me when half the player base has kind of dissected and code-dived the mechanics of new stuff before it ever reaches full release. So I, I like the idea of The Warden popping up and everybody in the community having to figure out how to fight it at the same time. Instead of, you know, somebody having a farm for it before we're even, you know, in full release of, of the yeah. of the wild update.
0: Feels like the, the chicken before the egg or vice mm-hmm. versa, right? Carp before the horse. The spawn egg in this case. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Our last email comes in from Michael T, the good game mechanic mold. Hey, Joel and Pix. In last week's discussion, you guys talked about what makes a good, useful addition to the game. I just wanted to mention a couple of features that sort of break the mold of what we generally expect from developers. Calcite is not craftable and can only be found for or used for building, and slime balls can only craft a few things. Both these features are very simple and yet highly desired, especially on servers. Thanks for the great podcast, Michael.
1: Yeah, I, c- I can see Calcite becoming a lot more valuable if it got crafting recipes in either direction either we were able to craft it and then we were able to craft it further into different types of blocks stairs slabs bricks whatever you wanted to do with calcite from that point but yeah i i can see where you're coming from with this it is a block that is simply a block and is only found so it's it's sort of in the only does one thing category that breaks the mold of what we were talking about of a lot of things having depth I think the main thing about calcite is that it's so closely tied to geodes and geodes themselves have a lot more to them with the amethyst renewability mechanics and all that kind of stuff that I think the geodes themselves are being treated as an overall feature and calcite is almost like a byproduct of that. Both calcite and smooth basalt are really just there to be a surrounding for the geode and the aesthetic thing rather than being something that's the focus of player activity.
0: And I don't know the exact timing of this, but I feel like around the time that we, um, maybe not, they were, maybe they didn't coincide, but we ended up with like you know stairs and slabs, uh, of uh, granite and diorite, and around that time or shortly thereafter, you could start to get them traded with villagers, right? Mm-hmm. So, with calcite not being something that you can find anywhere else like a villager trade it also doesn't have stairs and slabs and other variants so i'm wondering like if it does get those crafting recipes are we then going to see a crafting recipe for it you know Mm -hmm. like in the same way that you can use andesite and diorite um or diorite and cobbler i can't even remember the what's the what's the recipe for for andesite is it diorite and cobble
1: um yeah i think it's diorite and cobble because yeah di- diorite is the one you make out of cobblestone and quartz and then you add more quartz to that to get granite i think i think is how it right. works.
0: Yeah, it's how right yeah they're all quartz heavy which is weird mm-hmm. um but what well, maybe not weird maybe that's geology 101 and i'm just rusty um but like that kind of stuff i feel like if and when a block ends up being more desirable for players there also tends to be more than one way to get it in the game and The flip side of that with the slime ball for me, it's, I feel like things that are redstone centric, I don't know why, because I would say most people in the game are probably more, more builders and explorers than the redstone heavy people. Like, I feel like that's a smaller, although vocal and very cool part of the community. I feel like it just statistically, it's probably smaller, but what slime balls do is really cool. Mm -hmm. It's the only way to move a block without touching it right? Like you just, you you need a sticky piston. If you want to make a little, a two by by one piston door, you need two slime balls, you know? And if you can't find one, it becomes very desirable. Uh, Or if you realize that was cool, I want to make a lot more of these uh, to do all kinds of things that move. um, Then that again, becomes something that you want to uh, try and, and, and get a lot of, uh, and if you're on a server where they're, you know, scarce or you got multiple people looking for them, then I think that's, that's an interesting dynamic as well. But I think there's a good, good thing to mention there is that just because it does one thing, you also have to figure in like the cool factor. And if that's a big part of it, then that can make it more, more valuable as a mechanic.
1: Yeah, and I think slime blocks aren't the best example here because, I mean, sli- slime balls, yes, can only craft leads and then slime blocks, but then when you've got slime blocks, you can do a lot with them. Um, yes, of course. I mean, we're talking slime block flying machines, we're talking bouncing items around and mobs around and, you know, the the potential for player elevators and all kinds of other stuff. Like, there's there's so much that I've done with slime blocks in the course of like the last four years when I really started to learn more technical stuff that I just thought, some of this is wild. Like I, I, have no, I have no idea how anybody coped with Minecraft before this because they make things more convenient. They make things more fun. They open up a whole variety of things. And then we got honey blocks, which are the same, but slightly different. And like the fact that those two things don't interact is so valuable that, you know, yeah, like the the amount of stuff we can do with those once they are a thing like they have functionality inherent in what they are crafted into rather than just the item itself providing value and so yeah limited it to just crafting is is different like calcite is a very good example because calcite is practically inert in terms of what we can actually do with it beyond that but uh, it's there for the builders um Slime, bo- slime blocks also have like really nice transparency to them mm-hmm, and i think yep. that uh, between those and honey blocks they have the kind of the translucency that you really don't get you either get like one thing or the other with blocks like that you get something that's opaque or you get glass you know <laughs> and and so slime blocks provide a really interesting middle ground there that i'd like to see explored in a few other blocks as well you see the amount of people making fog patterns and things out of glass blocks and you think you know what if there was a way we could do that with a a slightly more translucent block that's transparent enough but still obscures things behind it a little bit maybe that's what tinted glass is now but it's still uh it's still kind of fun to see what people do with that stuff so i think uh yeah calcite good example slime less so
0: if you were to build something with a slime ball that doesn't exist in the game what would it be
1: oh good question I'm not I have sure. an example
0: that I can go through if you're going to take a minute to, to kind of mull it over. Yeah, please. The first do. thing that I thought of was, especially early game, would be like a sticky torch, uh, and whether that would be something that you could like stick to the ceiling vertically, you know, uh. Uh, or or like, and, and torches already stick to the walls in in a, in the way that they do, but having a torch that you could stick to the ceiling could be interesting depending on your decor, depending on what you're using things for, you know, whether you wanted to mine out the walls and you're constantly just replacing torches Um, and it would get them up off the floor, which I always find is an odd look for just, you know, it's kind of like the default early Minecraft is just torches everywhere on the ground. And, And I feel like putting them on the ceiling could be kind of interesting. And maybe that's a thing that, you know, you get a perk from a slime ball. Maybe that unlocks the ability to put other things on the ceiling that otherwise wouldn't you know, or, um, or having something like a, a slime ball stick a anvil to the ceiling for a limited time, you know, uh, th- that kind of stuff could be really fun. I don't know. I also like the idea of, um, slime blocks and the translucency, but different colors. I think yeah. that would be fun too. Mm-hmm. D- like being able to dye slime, which I mean, we can dye a sheep in the game, it would be really fun to just walk up to a green slime and go, and now you're orange.
1: Boop. Yeah, <laughs> just- I believe there is a vanilla tweaks pack that at least recolors slimes that way. I'm not sure if it adds dying mechanics or not, um, but there's definitely data packs and stuff that allow you to, to do bits and pieces like that. Um, I'm going to pull an example from Modded because there was a there's like a set of slime boots that you can get to add like the slime block bounce to falling so you don't take as much fall damage. And when you combine that with the slime sling, I think it is... It's effectively like a slingshot but it fires you instead of firing items and so p- players in in modded playthroughs I've seen like a while back I don't know if it's still necessarily in vogue or not, but they um, they get a slime they- some slime boots and a slime sling and they basically catapult themselves from biome to biome looking for stuff. And uh, it's a very fun way to travel. Completely game breaking in terms of Minecraft's current transport modes, you know, but there's effectively how people got around modded worlds before they're able to, you know, craft a jetpack or something like that as they just fling
0: themselves from biome to biome trying to avoid fall damage. I've seen those that they're fun. They, yeah, they really they, it's something new. Like it, it feels very different to what we do now.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's it's wacky and it's wacky fun, which is often the good kind of wacky. Uh that's where we're gonna close up on this episode. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Spawn Chunks. You can find more information about the show and links to some of the stuff that we've talked about today at thespawnchunks.com. The music for the show is composed by me, and the Spawn Chunks is proud as ever to be a listener supported podcast. If you're getting some value out of the show, why not consider putting some value back in? You can visit patreon.com slash the spawn chunks to join our community, where pledging at any level we'll get you an invite to our patrons only Discord chat and you can listen to the show live as it is recorded every week it also gets us closer to our next goal of having a monthly minecraft audio hangout with our listeners once we reach the milestone of 500 dollars of support per show we're currently at 316 patrons which is up five from last week thank you so much to everybody who's hopped on board and special thanks to our content engineers hunter 555 JumboSale, and yitz for your support on
0: this episode Sharing the podcast with your friends is the easiest way to support the show. You can find us at The Spawn Chunks on Twitter and Instagram. Personal recommendations are by far the best way to share the podcast. Just tell a friend about The Spawn Chunks and where they can go to listen. That includes iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and YouTube. Really, wherever you can find a podcast. You can email the show at spawnchunkmail at gmail.com. The RSS feed is linked on the spawnchunks.com. And the patron-only RSS feed is on the Patreon page. That's where you can listen to The Render Distance, the extended version of the podcast.
1: You can also get the patron hangout there as well, as we mentioned at the top of the show. Uh, my name is Johnny, but online I go by Pixel riffs You can find most of what I do at youtube.com slash where I try to make sense of this bizarre and wonderful game in Season 2 of the Minecraft Survival Guide. I also stream three days a week on Twitch, where I'm doing behind-the-scenes work for the Minecraft Survival Guide and sometimes playing some Minecraft bingo. I'm also the voice of the unofficial Hermitcraft Recap, still on hiatus, but you can find our previous work through a quick YouTube search. Aside from that, I'm at Rifts on
0: both Twitter and Instagram. Joel, where can people find you online? Everything I'm doing online, including my illustration and design portfolio, is at joelduggan.com. The Citadel Cafe is my other podcast about sci fi and fantasy entertainment. You can find that at thecitadelcafe.com. This past week we talked about Rhea and the Last Dragon. You can follow me at Joel Duggan on social media and Joel Duggan on Twitch, where I have all of Fabric 5 going, and of course, The Citadel, my four year old Minecraft server. Thanks for visiting the Spawn Chunks. The world outside is infinite, but we'll still fortune it just in case.
1: <laughs>